Alright all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And uh, welcome to episode 101 of uh, the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is the 101st episode, and it is also... The space episode. That's right, folks. It is not the 101 Dalmatians episode. It is not 101 ways to fold and iron your boxer briefs. No! It is the space episode. It is the space episode because it turns out that just like Earth's atmosphere ends at 100 kilometers away, space begins at 101 kilometers. There you go. I don't know what you call that dead space between 100 and 101 kilometers, but apparently 101 kilometers is where space starts. And with that wonderful little bit of uh, NASA-type knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. Well, somebody... Has been watching a little bit of Interstellar this past week. Learning a little bit of Christopher Nolan's scientific knowledge. Yeah, carrying on the legacy that is Terminator. <laughs> Indeed. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. <clears throat> Hopefully yeah. with the new Terminator Genesis movie, they bring back that really 80s, heavy synthetic... You know, dun dun tss, tss, music. Oh, they could because it's totally retro now. I mean, you know, it'd be very hipster if they were to do that. Yeah, even Interstellar had like very '80s kind of John Car- Carpenter esque uh, synth music going on. I don't know if you notice that or not. A lot of keyboard it, sounds. Yeah, a lot of keyboards, and and when they weren't doing that, they they were doing a lot of uh, Kubrick esque church organ music. You know, pipe organ kind of stuff there as well. Yeah. 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 Well, so. I mean, I think it's safe to say that he was not influenced in any way by 2001 A Space Odyssey. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we'll... no. You you'd think he'd never even heard of that movie. <clears throat> so, how are you ones. how are you doing, Matt? How was your family reunion? Well, yes, my family reunion was last weekend and it was uh it was great. We raised a lot of money for the reunion fund, which allows us to perpetuate the family reunion or inflict it depending on your viewpoint uh within the family uh for generations to come which is good and we had a blast you know had a, had the auction uh we had the get-togethers and the fun and the bounce house and the marshmallow fights and you know all that good crazy mm-hmm. stuff so do you uh, run well, around and Throw marshmallows at each other, or do you like do. put them in the fire first and then throw marshmallows at each other? No, 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 no. We don't want it to be sticky because we got to clean it up after. Uh, yeah, we no, we literally <laughs> just pelt each other with marshmallows, big the big jumbo puppy marshmallows. Huh. And what kind of stuff do you guys auction off? Like the family um, urn? It depends. Or... Uh, everything from uh, knickknacks to homemade crafts. And there are people who can do some pretty fucking amazing stuff. Yeah. And I apologize, folks. As you can tell, I am definitely sick. It, you know, apparently all that good clean air um, has really... I think you really... had one too many marshmallows in the face. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, you know, had an Ebola-infected marshmallow. And um, 
so yeah, like for me, from years before, I actually have a homemade knife. It's like seriously badass. Um, we have people who make, make uh, who make can do doilies. Like, yeah, <laughs> we have people who can do quilts and stuff. We have people who do art. Um, wow. Yeah, and, and like not just any kind of art. I mean, we have people who like. Uh, I don't know. You've been to my place. I, I don't know if you can recall over by in the living room. Uh, there's a big portrait of my grandfather, and it looks like it's drawn in ink. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you that ever walk up to that, yeah. If you yeah, if you ever walk up to that, it's actually a story about um, from my cousin who is very artistic, and she took all of the things that she remembered about my granddaddy and wrote them out and turned it into that picture. So if you ever walk up, oh, cool. it's actually sentences and words and thoughts and stuff like that. And, <laughs> and she then, auctioned that off. And then Matt is over here doing a podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Did, um, did you auction off anything or purchase no, a doily no, no, no. or two? I, I'm, I'm definitely not creative in that regard. I definitely yeah. bid on stuff, though, and... You know, buy things. We actually also had someone who they own. Remember when we went to New Mexico back in July? And so we were up there at the cabin, and that was something that had been auctioned off that week. There at the cabin was something that was auctioned off, and it was auctioned off again this year. So that was definitely nice. Um, so, I mean, it's there's lots of cool stuff, lots of cool things. And then there's also some, you know, just goofy stuff that doesn't really need to be auctioned so we have a silent auction on the side for that stuff so people can like <laughs> bid on the weird stuff yeah well and uh yeah so it was definitely a lot of fun definitely a lot of fun for sure um yeah so what'd you do this weekend well i will tell you my past week has been uh, a, a lot of stuff kind of a lot of uh, a, a lot of variety to this past week and i will tell you this as I sip on this mystery beer, can you guess real quick what kind of beer I could be drinking right now? I guarantee you, you will not get it within three guesses. Okay, Pabst Blue Ribbon. Nope. Close, but no. <sighs> um, Red Stripe. No. Closer to Pabst Blue Ribbon. Milwaukee's Beast. Uh, closer to home. <laughs> Uh, Shiner? Lone oh, Star. Wait, no. Lone Star? Yeah, I was going to say, wait, Lone, I am I was bringing, thinking, yeah. I'm drinking currently the National Beer of Texas in Los Angeles. That's pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, besides that, so yeah, the past few weeks, just to sum it up really quick, I know we're going to try to keep this as condensed as possible, this episode. Uh, I, I went to that, I went to another cemetery screening here at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and saw Blade Runner. So that was fun. Uh, cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Like, on the big screen, it was their closing two, closing night 2014 uh, movie screening series of their series this year, or however you say that. So that was fun. I also, on Sunday, went down to Costa Mesas, or up to Costa Mesas, and saw the reunion performance of... Well, it wasn't necessarily a, a reunion performance, but it was the reunion of the original Broadway cast of Into the Woods. And so Stephen Sondheim was there, and the director, I forget his name, was there. Bernadette Peters was there, among pretty much all the stars from the cast were there. And they, uh, as they were discussing 
and talking about various aspects of the performance and the play uh, play itself and their experiences, they performed like maybe uh, ten songs, nine ten songs from uh, from the show itself, and that was really cool. Uh, it kind of got me a little excited for the Into the Woods movie, which I wasn't really amped up for until then. Uh, let's see, what else happened this past weekend? Oh yes, probably the reason why we are having a condensed episode is because in Los An- or in West Hollywood here, we've been having power outages, planned power outages. The first one happened uh, on Tuesday night no- or on Monday night, which is when we were going to record from 8 p.m. till 8 a.m. Very considerate of the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power to plan this while everyone is at home and just getting off of work and wanting to come home, relax, and watch a little bit of the boob tube, even, or even record a podcast. But then it happened again yesterday. Now, it was scheduled, the power was scheduled to go out from 8 a.m. to be out between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., yet it was out from 8 a.m. until 4 a.m. the next morning. That's a that's a lot of power in like very inconsiderate times to have a power outage here in Los Angeles. So, you know, unlike in Houston, we don't get a lot of rain and thunderstorms which kicks off the power, so I guess this is our way of making up for all that we've missed. So, that that's been my week, fun, fair, and uh positive, I must say. Right on. Well, okay. Well, all right then. Uh, let's go ahead and get to our fun stuff here. First things first, though. Um, I'd like to... Uh, we, we have some corrections that need to be made for uh, episode 100. And normally, we don't do this because normally there aren't such glaring errors. And I, I hate to say that, you know, anybody made any errors because we're supposed to be, like, you know, amazing and on point and shit. But... As anybody who listens to our show will know, they're probably already laughing at that statement. So there you go. Uh, First things first, Tim, uh, in your article, in one of your news articles, uh, you were referring to the Department of Justice, and yet you uh, probably meant Department of Gustus, because you kept saying D-O-G instead of D-O-J. I did mean that. Thank you for okay, clearing good, that up. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. Now, me, my fuck-ups are, like, it's, you know, not just a little misreading of a letter. No, no, no. Apparently, I omit, I omit them entirely. <laughs> um, when I'm trying to be nice and plug, we are not here to please you, I'm plugging the wrong fucking Twitter. Um, I forgot the H, because it's we are not here to please you, not we are not to please you. So, yeah, that's going to be at W-A-N-H-T-P-Y. For those who actually tried, uh, and then I sent you to God knows where because I didn't even look up what the fuck I told you to do. Um, secondly, I did tell Sam the right thing. It was episode twenty-eight that Sam was on, and I kept saying episode thirty-eight. So apparently, I'm smoking crack. Uh, finally, and most egregiously, I don't know how to notice blue highlighted letters in my email inbox because uh, I missed. An email from episode 94. Yeah, you heard me. Episode 94. Here I am lamenting the fact that nobody emails us and how I check it, and yet I miss one that's six weeks old. So, yeah, we're going to go ahead and read that now. This came to us actually courtesy of Johnny White Trash. 
And <clears throat> now I'm sick, so I won't be able to do it complete justice, but I would like to attempt uh, to voice and channel a little bit of Johnny White Trash for you as I read his lovely thing. If you remember back in episode 94, we were talking about things like Trailer Park Croquet and Trailer Park Polo, and it turns out that when we said we wanted to ask Johnny White Trash, he, he was listening, and so he had this to say. Uh, in response to episode 94... Uh, believe it or not, croquet sets, usually pronounced croquette, because what the fuck is a silent T, are common in trailer parks because normal kids don't want to buy them, so they are constantly on sale at Walmart. This is what makes for popular gifts. Hang on. <clears throat> Gotta drink some coffee. <sighs> This is what makes for popular gifts in said trailer parks, unless you know a guy who can sell you discounted items that fell off the back of a truck, if you know what I mean. As far as polo in a trailer park, it will never happen. The closest thing you can find to horses there are whatever is in the canned meat or the glue, the billy huffs. Yes, all trailer parks have a billy. And yes, the canned meat and glue were also on sale at Walmart. Uh, If you don't mind me saying this, Matt, uh, I Mm. I do not think you were drunk enough to... (laughs) 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 Yes, cough it up. Cough up that that humiliation. Yeah. Yeah, because it, uh, darling, I'm not editing that out of this episode, so you're you're stuck with that. That that's all right. That's all right. Um, so yes, and and again, that was Johnny White Trash filling us in on the goings on of Trailer Park Croquet or Croquette, as he likes to call it. And actually, when he funny. did that, I literally <laughs> went and looked it up. I looked it up in the Merriam-Webster thing, and you can audio get the audio on that. And it did come back as croquet, so perhaps maybe in the trailer parks they call it croquette, but hey. Um, but yeah, you can check him out uh, on the Johnny White Trash Show. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, and johnnywhitetrash.com. So, enjoy. Be, ad- be advised he is from Canada. As if somehow that's a problem. Well, I mean, you know what they say about Canadians. You're an anti-Canadite. I no, guess. I am I too know. polite to be anti-Canadian because oh, I, I've okay. kind of been like they—I've I, been indoctrinated by them. <laughs> nice. I'm—I'm I'm kidding. I'm—I'm <laughs> I'm just joking with you. Just joking. Yeah. Well, I'm just hacking up along here. I'll try and hit the mute there if I have any more of those sudden urges. All right. So that takes care of all the fuck-ups that we had. Now, I do have one quick piece of... um, And and please, oh, yes, the show at SLScast.com. Replies in six weeks or less. I promise. (laughs) Um... Yeah, and and, and it's open. I read that from the email folder, so I know we are current. We haven't had anything in six weeks. So, there, there is that. The show, all one word, at slscast.com. So, um, the wonders that are uh, News of the Weird, <clears throat> coming to us from yahoo.com, uh, Yahoo Tech specifically, courtesy of Daniel Bean, um, 
which also which basically this comes from uh, Weibo.com, which is essentially China's version of Twitter, as I understand it. A guy goes out and he buys, <clears throat> get this, ninety nine iPhones, iPhone sixes. Okay, um, he places them in the on the ground in the shape of a heart, and then gets his girlfriend and proposes to her. Now, granted, this is roughly $82,000 worth of iPhones, apparently. What? Yeah. Um, they're more expensive in China. So, you know. <laughs> and he proposes to her. Now, I don't know if this was like, hey, look, I know you're really crappy about keeping track of your phones. Or, hey, look at the kind of disposable income I have. But, yeah, let me go ahead and have 99 iPhones carefully, lovingly constructed into the shape of a heart, and I will propose to you my undying love. See, I would appreciate that if that was how this guy, like, broke up with his girlfriend. Like, hey, bitch, you text way too fucking much. Uh, I'm proving this to you by (laughs) buying all these phones and, you know, arranging them in the shape of a broken heart because... That's all you do is text. Yeah. And, so, but yeah. yeah, I mean, but the funny thing is, is that he gets to do that now because she said no. <laughs> Good. I I would too. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so. Huh. News of the weird there for you. News of the weird. Anyway. So you want to go ahead and get to our... This is a truncated show, guys, so uh, don't expect too much in the way of special effects and dazzling shit. You're going to hear the coughing, the hacking, uh, and, you know, the terrible Johnny White trash impersonation. Yeah, um, and, and even better, we're going to be singing our own intros. Oh, outstanding. So then shall we get started on that? We shall. All right, folks, it is... The news, 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 news. The news, news tonight. news, news. All right, so we each have one piece of news, because, again, truncated episode. So go first, Tim. It's that 1% of the time that you're going to get to go first. I wasn't ready. Okay, um... Oh, and this Lone Star is definitely making me want to burp. Uh, so I apologize if you get a really a nice loud Ralph in your in your ears. Okay, so this is an article from ScreenCrush.com entitled "50 Shades of Grey." The movie won't feature any male nudity. So who is this movie for anyway? And this is written by um somebody that doesn't like oh oh wow well it it really helps whenever people you know how can you credit somebody when their font is see-through brit hayes again this is from screencrush.com and uh a little i guess abbreviation here before i actually get to what i really want to mention in this article uh is that so 50 shades of of (laughs) gay Of gray, <laughs> uh, Fifty Shades of Gray really isn't the, uh, the the most isn't an an aspiring an inspiring novel. You know, it's not really one that you would consider to be great literature. Uh, 
to be harsh, I guess, and to the point, it's absolute trash. I haven't read the complete book, I will admit that, but I've definitely read plenty of sections of it to get an idea of uh, of what it's made up of, you know, of the shit that it's made up of, and the dried semen. And so the women that buy these books are women that are interested in this hot sex where it talks about penis thrusting and vaginal juices going all over things and all that jazz and all the rape, all the, all the, uh, pretty much all the rape that happens in the book, you know, uh, the, the rape that the girl wants, which totally makes it okay, apparently. So whenever they came out with the movie, they kept talking about Nymphomaniac and saying, well, this movie is going to be a hard R. If it has to be NC-17, by God, we're going to give the women what they want, and we're going to NC-17 all up in this biatch. Now, is that what they're doing? I don't think so. <laughs> now, the actal, the actal, the actal playing Dorian Gray, his name is... Um... He does have a name. His name is... Okay, well, you know what, I'll just... Oh, yeah, Jamie Doran. He says in this article that he will not be appearing fully nude in the upcoming Fifty Shades of Grey movie. And this is according to TheGuardian.com, where Screen Crush quotes him as saying, quote, There were contracts in place that said that viewers wouldn't be seeing my, um, dot dot dot, Todger? Yeah. My Todger, you want to appeal to as wide of an audience as possible without grossing them out. You don't want to make something gratuitous and ugly and graphic, end quote. And Screen Crush picks back up with saying, Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up here for a second. Gratuitous, ugly, and graphic. Okay, first of all, the book on which this film is based is gratuitous and graphic, which is why so many women bought the damn thing in the first place. It's not a good book. It's not well written. It began its life as a Twilight fanfic. And it has a horrible misunderstanding of BDSM and a submissive dominant sexual relationship with the end result reading as utterly abusive. Hopefully this has been fixed for the film. That major quibble aside, the primary draw of this whole Fifty Shades of Grey thing is the sex, and their target demographic is going to see this movie expecting a steamy action, not softcore porn. You want softcore porn with people awkwardly bumping against each other and making sex noises with lots of glowing shots of naked women, you turn on Cinemax at 2 in the morning, if that's what you want. And judging from this quote from Dornan, we're probably going to see plenty of his co-star, Dakota Johnson, in the nude. Sure, it'll be tasteful, like a romance novel. And all quotes there. What do you think, Matt? Do you think this is stupid? I mean, to me, this annoys me. I mean, I'm not going to see the movie by, I mean, by any means whatsoever, I'm not going to see this movie. But it gets me that when Nymphomaniac, when Nymphomaniac came out, so much attention and so much press went to the upcoming, you know, production of Fifty Shades of Grey by saying, well, what are you going to do? Nymphomaniac is doing this. They're going to be doing, they're going to be showing this and doing this. And, you know, they're going to try to make it hot and sexy, yada, 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 even though the movie's not really necessarily about being hot and sexy. Is it, I mean, what do you think about all this? 
<laughs> I think it's uh, yet another way to drum up any kind of press about what is most likely going to be just a terrible, terrible movie. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, my piece of news comes from Variety.com. It is courtesy of Mark Grazier. Ladies and gentlemen, in the can't leave well enough alone department, Pixar's Toy Story 4, set to play in theaters in 2017. John Lasseter returning to direct the fourth installment in popular franchise. Yes, you heard right, folks. John Lasseter will return to direct Pixar Animation Studios' Toy Story 4 that Disney will release on June 16th, 2017. Tom Hanks and Tim Allen will reprise their roles as Woody and Buzz Lightyear. Yep. Walt Disney Company Chief Bob Iger made the project announcement to Wall Street analysis, um, I'm sorry, analysts as he discussed the company's fourth quarter and fiscal year results. Iger gave few details on the fourth film of the franchise other than the Lasseter's return to the director's chair, but Disney followed up the announcement to add that Rashida Jones and Will McCormick, Celeste and Jesse Forever, uh, have joined the project as writers, while Pixar vet Galen Sussman of ABC's Toy Story of Terror and Toy Story That Time Forgot will produce the tune. Um, it is going to be a new chapter in the lives of Woody and Buzz, um, Basically, this is what Lasseter had to say in a statement. Quote, We love these characters so much, they are like family to us. We don't want to do anything with them unless it lives up to or surpasses what's gone before. Toy Story 3 ended Woody and Buzz's story with Andy so perfectly that for a long time we never even talked about doing another Toy Story movie. But when Andrew, Pete, Lee, and I came up with this new idea, I just could not stop thinking about it. It was so exciting to me, I knew we had to make this movie, and I wanted to direct it myself. And all quotes. What do you think, Tim? Money grab or potentially something that they could do well? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think Disney has sort of painted themselves in various corners. Now that they have Marvel, I have, I, I'm, I think they're going to start going into the superhero action fantasy you know, direction. And then they have uh, their Prince's movies, which they kind of started rebooting within the past few years. And then now they have Toy Story movies. So I think once they make Toy Story 4, then they're going to do another uh, action-y movie, then they're going to do another Princess movie, and then they're going to do another Toy Story movie. And then it's just gonna, I think it's just going to kind of just be a circle going around and around and around. And I don't know if maybe they just can't come up with any, I, I, I don't know, original fun ideas. I mean, like Wally even, or, uh, or or Up. I mean, I didn't care for Up that much, but I'll give it that it was totally original, for sure. So I, I don't know. I, it, I It's hard to say, really. I mean, you, I, I can't really judge what they're doing, because uh, the, the hit-or-miss record that Disney has has been... Uh, hitting pretty well. I mean, despite what I think of their movies. So, 
I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. I think. Yeah, for me, I think it's. A, I mean, personally, I think it's just a little bit of both. Um, I think it's clearly a cash grab because everybody's going to go and see it because just because it's Toy Story. But I also have a lot of faith that if anybody can make a, a legitimate story out of this, it's going to be Lasseter, Doctor, and the and Lee and the team. So, yeah, and um, Lasseter's the one that came up with the story idea. So, yeah, I guess that's good. Especially yes, if he directs. <laughs> there is that. All right, cool. Well, then that takes care of the news and brings us to three squared, 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 three squared, Okay, so this week's Three Squared is all about our favorite baseball movies. Um, I guess I will go first since Tim went first. We did have one bit of crossover, so I went ahead and let Tim take that bit of crossover. Because I had a very close, uh, I had one that I wanted to include, but I didn't get to because obviously, you know, we're supposed to only pick three. So it gave me an opportunity to put in my other one. So, my three picks are uh, Robert Redford's 1984 film adaptation of The Natural. This is one of those, this was the very first movie I ever saw that was better than the book. <laughs> and whenever pe- people say, like, is there ever a movie that's actually better than the book? I can honestly, I can always cite The Natural. There, there, is, there, there, is, there is always hope, because there is The Natural. Um, next up for me... Um, oh, and by the way, Natural is about this guy who is basically a phenom uh, home run hitter who makes it very late in life into the majors and kind of his story about uh, taking a losing team and turning it around. Very fun. Very cool. Next up, we have Major League 1989 American comedy film. It spawned its own franchise. The rest of the franchise is just kind of like is this exercise in the sliding scale of suck but this particular movie uh it has a lot of heart and is very funny and while somewhat dated today baseball fans will have fun and 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 anyone who ever gets to see bob uecker and knows who he is aside from mr belvedere will get to enjoy this movie um it's a it's a it's a buddy comedy and a conglomerate cast, ensemble cast, of guys, Wesley Snipes early on, Charlie Sheen, Corbin Burnson, a lot of fun people, Tom Berenger, uh, Rene Russo in one of her earlier roles. This is definitely a good movie, a lot of fun, and, you know, kind of root for the underdog movie. But, yeah, don't, don't really bother with any of the other ones, but watch this one. Last but not least for me is... 1993's coming-of-age film, The Sandlot. Yes, got a whole bunch of wonderful kids in this movie. And basically just kind of going over the story of a summer. Uh, Kid moves to a new neighborhood, ends up getting on the baseball team. Uh, Dennis Leary's the stepdad. And uh, James Earl Jones in a very surprising bit part. Uh, It's not quite a cameo, but it is a very small role. And... Yeah, there, there's just so many things. People still talk about it today, 20 years, 21 years later. You're killing the Smalls. I mean, 
seriously, just great movie, great coming-of-age flick, lots of fun. My picks again, 1984's The Natural, 1989's Major League, and 1993's The Sandlot. All right, Tim, what do you got, sir? Nice. All right, so two of my three are cl- are considered classics and kind of in some people's eyes the obvious choices but then again i think a lot of baseball movies are an obvious choice of being one of the best baseball movies so it's kind of hard but i think my last one will surprise most of you so my first here and this is in no particular order but this movie to me is probably one of the first Fan, great baseball movies. And this is Sam Woods, 1942's The Pride of the Yankees, starring Gary Cooper as Lou Gehrig. That's right, Lou Gehrig was the Pride of the Yankees back in the day. And this movie, oddly, well not oddly, sadly, came out uh, a year after Lou Gehrig passed away from ALS. And this movie talks about, or tells the story of Lou Gehrig, up until his eventual, uh, 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 I guess, him quitting the Yankees due to his illness. Um, again, this is starring Gary Cooper, Teresa Wright, and Walter Brennan. And it is a tribute to the legendary New York Yankees first baseman, New, uh, Lou Gehrig, who did fall at the age of 37 into the grips or the pits of ALS, which later on in uh, later on in time became known as Lou Gehrig's disease, and this is a really good movie. Um, in addition to big name actors, this movie actually starred some of uh, Lou Gehrig's fellow Yankee t- uh, teammates. Babe Ruth plays himself, Bob Muissel, Mark Coing, and Bill Dickey, to name a few, as well as sportscaster Bill Stern. Um, yeah, it's a really good movie. It received 11 Academy Award nominations. And the ending of it, his uh, sp- his farewell speech, is uh, Lou Gehrig's real fare- farewell speech from 1939, is uh, reenacted by Gary Cooper. And it is often said to be one of the greatest uh, of speeches, movie speeches, in history. Which is kind of interesting. I uh, when we talked about movie, I think we talked about movie speeches as one of our three squareds some time ago, and I remember wanting to talk about this one, but I didn't for some reason or, or another. But it's really, really good. Uh, one of the best quotes from that speech is: "Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth." And believe it or not, the American Film Institute, their list of one hundred greatest movie quotes that quote came in at number 38 which is fun and exciting movie trivia second we're gonna jump ahead uh quite a few decades to 1988's bull durham this was directed by first timer ron shelton uh this is actually a first uh, a surprise hit for ron shelton bill durham star or bill <laughs> bull durham Stars Kevin Costner, Susan Sarandon, and Tim Robbins. For some reason, Tim Robbins has third billing in this movie. He definitely does. I think he deserved he deserved to share top billing uh, with the other two. This is a 1989 film which works as not only a sports movie 
but it also works as a romantic comedy as well as well as a as a comedy uh, itself, or I guess I should say, it works as a sports movie, a romance as well as a comedy movie. It, and that's one of the great, uh, uh, the best uh, uh, criticisms that this movie got was that it worked all three ways. It didn't uh, it didn't give up the romance. So the movie would be funnier. It didn't give up any of the baseball, so the movie can focus on the comedy and in the in the, the love interest. No, the movie is just all around a really really good movie. And this movie takes place, or this movie is about <laughs> a minor league baseball team, which star Kevin Costner plays the character of Crash Davis, who is a veteran catcher for this rookie team, and. Another character played by Tim Robbins, Ebby Calvin Nuke LaRoche, the Nuke LaRoche, comes on. And Kevin Costner's Crash Davis becomes LaRoche's uh, mentor, I, I guess. And that's when Susan Sarandon, who is kind of like a groupie, comes up and she uh, is supposed to go for, you know, the next hot rookie baseball player, which would have been Tim Robbins. But no, she finds herself falling for the mentor, Kevin Costner. So it's a really good movie, uh, highly recommended. Again, good baseball movie, good comedy, and a good romance. And I really don't think this movie... I thought this movie aged pretty well since the last time I saw it. It's been a few years, but uh, regardless, I did enjoy it. Next up, lastly, uh, I apologize if you hurt yourself as you smack yourself on the head. Uh, especially when I mentioned that my next film is from 2005... It is a Farley Brothers movie. That's Peter Farley and Robert Farley. And it stars Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon. And that movie is entitled, you got it, unfortunately, Fever Pitch. Yes, and this movie is based on a book called The Perfect Catch. And it's also a remake of a film from 1997, which came out... Um, in uh in in british in brit it came out in british it came out in the uk back in 1997 though this movie is about baseball the boston red sox the uh, other movie the british movie is about football soccer which is fun and exciting am i is it the boston red sox or is it the boston white sox it's boston red sox yeah red sox i'm right so, yeah, about, about the Boston Red Sox. And the movie itself isn't about, really, baseball. But the entire love story, and believe it or not, it's actually a pretty damn good love story. You I, Honestly, you wouldn't actually think that this was a Farley Brothers movie. It's not written by the Farley Brothers. And this movie was actually supposed to be directed by a ton of other well-known directors until it landed on the Farley Brothers' lap. But the love story revolves around... The 2004 Boston Red Sox's uh, uh, World Series victory. You know, it takes place during all those games. And the movie was modeled for the Red Sox to lose the 2014 World Series. Or 2014, 2004 World Series. But all of a sudden, the Red Sox, they had a chance to win. So the ending had to be rewritten. And the rest is history. I mean, the making of this movie is actually pretty cool. You go to the, if you go to the uh, the video store to buy it, uh, to buy the movie, you'll notice that there is a uh, uh, the original movie, and then there is a it's not a unedited uh, like an unrated version. It's called like 
the something else version, the Red Sox version or whatever. But you can get, you can watch two different uh, versions of the movie, which is interesting. One with what they thought, you know, the, what the outcome of the baseball game was going to be. And one where they realized, oh shit, they're actually going to win the World Series. And they did. And it totally makes the movie. And yeah, highly recommend it. So my three films, again, 1942's Pride of the Yankees, about Lou Gehrig and the New York Yankees. 1990, or 1988's Bull Durham, directed by Ron Shelton. And then, and then finally, the Farley Brothers' 2005 romantic comedy, Fever Pitch. Woo! All right, well, that does it for our three squared there. Very good three squared, I thought. Next week, we're going to be doing a masterpiece discussion over the deadline article. Oscar Watch, Captain America for Best Picture? Why its directors think the Academy should take comic book movies seriously. So that'll be fun. A little fun discussion there. Uh, now it'll be fun for next week. Can't wait to do it. But that does leave us with... The Movies! Talking about movies, 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 movies. Jesus Rancher, I'm gonna eat my Jesus Rancher when I watch a movie. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, cool. So this week's movies are Interstellar, Big Hero Six, and VHS Viral. Uh, it's video on demand, but it's actually going to be out in theaters on the 21st of November, which is kind of fun considering that today is the 13th of November. Um, so yeah, fun, fun times there. Uh, where do you want to start, sir? Let's start off with, uh, VHS Viral. VHS Viral, okay. It's, uh, third in the series of, um, anthology horror, and I, I gotta say that they, these ones seem to be getting better. Um, there's only four segments, I think. So that's good, I guess. Um, and I gotta say that overall, this movie is definitely uh, pretty well shot, pretty well paced, and I like the framing device for it. Pretty straightforward. I don't know. Don't really have a lot of extras to say on this one. But I did like it quite a bit. I'm gonna go ahead and just bring this one in at three and a half stars. Pretty straightforward review on my part, so. What do you got there, sir? Alright, so VHS Viral. I actually thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I thought this was an excellent addition into the VHS anthology series of films. Uh, I, I liked how it wasn't that they're not trying to, I, I guess, make him like a one, I guess, in the, I guess like a one-trick pony, you know, whereas like, oh, it has to be a whore, it has to be demented, it has to be bloody, it has to be disgusting, it has to be gross. We really want to freak our audience out. Now, it seemed like with VHS Viral, they were just trying to keep it fun, keep it lively, keep it entertaining. And I gotta say, with this movie, I thought it was fun, I thought it was lively, and I thought it was very entertaining. Uh, there was definitely a lot of stuff within the first maybe 20 minutes that was kind of hokey and goofy but overall and i'm talking about more of like the the first segment it's the magician or uh, i forget what it's entitled but it's the one that pertains to the magician and the magic cloak that one was a little forced and goofy 
but there was still a lot of fun to it. I mean, all three of these, or I guess all four of these short, well, there's three short films, and then there's like the, the whole overarch story that's going on. They're all well made. And they're fun to listen to, or they're fun to listen to, but they're fun to watch. And the effects weren't that bad. I mean, it's definitely a independent film without a large budget, yet they focus more on the story, they focus more on the camera movement, they focus more on the characters, and it makes up for the lackluster, I, I mean, I guess what people would consider to be lackluster special effects or uh, or, or a smaller budget. But th- these movies are very inventive, and or these shorts are very inventive, and, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's not as fantastic as VHS 2, but it is still really good, and I do highly recommend it. Uh, I give VHS Viral 3.75 out of 5 stars. Alright, cool. So where do you want to go from here, sir? Let's go with uh, Big Hero 6. Alright, Big Hero 6. 2014 American 3D computer animated superhero comedy film. Big clash-up of types of music of movies there, isn't it? Uh, basically, it's Disney, Disney's take on the Marvel property. And it's directed by Don Hall and Chris Williams. <clears throat> Stars Scott Adsit, Ryan Potter, Daniel Henney, T.J. Miller, Damon Wayans Jr., Genesis Rodriguez, Jamie Chan. There's just, yeah, lots of great actors that you may or may not already know uh, doing all the voices for this movie. And it follows the exploits of a, uh, of a young genius named Hero who is facing some tough times in life and how he overcomes them with the help of a robot that his brother built that inflates um it's this is probably yeah I absolutely just adored this movie I thought the movie did a couple of things really really well first of all I think it definitely humanized something that could have been very easily made over the top to the point that you just wouldn't want to care and yet at the same time I thought that it was really cool how they took and made science now granted it's you know they they definitely take liberties with the science but that they actually tried to take real science and use that as the base for where all the superhero stuff comes from in the movies and or in this movie and it's something that you don't see very often it's and it's not radioactive spider science stuff i mean it's literally like mixing certain chemicals together to get a desired reaction and then using those using someone who is a genius who understands how to mix these chemicals properly to actually be able to make this into a a, a weapon that can be used as an offensive weapon or as something that can be defensive as well. Um, Someone who understands the use of magnets and resistance and stuff that can uh, becomes like a roller skating thing because... um, of the ability to use artificial resistance and stuff and and, art, and and artificial suspension and everything. It's just really, really cool. Uh, just, yeah, you see all this kind of stuff and, and how all these people become these kids, really, 
uh, college kids kind of become superheroes. And it's a lot of fun to watch. I also thought that the film had a lot of heart without being overly mushy, and that the protagonist here, the actual um, Baymax, which is the big white puffy thing that you see in all the commercials uh, in, in all the trailers for it, he's the health robot. He's actually there to help people, but of course gets co-opted to become the big, uh, the, the big red-suited armored guy. They did a really, really good job of making him someone that you actually want to care about without, again, trying to pull artificial strings and be just too mushy about everything. Is the movie perfect? Of course not. They they use a slacker millionaire kid to advance, basically, to, to kind of get around... <clears throat> the idea of how they're going to be able to fund themselves and everything, and which is, again, a playoff of you know, other superhero things. But they also credit a lot of comic stuff in that. And, again, Marvel properties are just abounding in here when they're ranking comic book references. Um, of course, it is a Marvel movie, and so, therefore, the requisite Stan Lee cameo is amazing. And... Yeah, I, I think that um, overall, I got to give this movie four and a half stars. I think it is an amazing family film. I really like what they tried to do with it in terms of using science as a basis for things. Um, not trying to be too mushy, not trying to be too over the top, and being really funny and creative with the use of um, Baymax as a prop. But again, not overly so. So four and a half stars. Really enjoyed this movie. Not perfect, but absolutely loved it and would recommend. Go ahead, I'm gonna Tim. I'm gonna be the bad guy here. Uh, I I think I learned from the utter disappointment I felt with Brave to not go into a uh, a, a Disney film um, unless it's like Toy Story or something, which. You know, you know, if you're gonna go watch Toy Story, it it should it's it has a lot to live up to, but like other Disney properties or newer Disney properties, I I've learned to like go into it with without amazing expectations, because whenever you go into a movie like this, you know there's gonna be great visuals to it, you know you're gonna have good characters, but you don't know what else you don't know what kind of fluff. They're gonna they're gonna put in there what what kind of padding they're gonna use to really beef up the movie. Now, I went into Big Hero Six without the highest expectations. I wasn't necessarily looking forward to seeing this movie, but yet I've got to admit I was curious because this is a Marvel based off a Marvel comic from the late '90s, early 2000s, and so it was just gonna be interesting seeing what Disney did with it. Though it is safe to say that Disney took a lot of many liberties. This movie is nothing like the comic whatsoever. I'm not a fan of the comic. I've never heard of the comic until I did some research once I once I heard about this movie. And so, I mean, that was kind of like a oh well, it's Disney, you know, approach to how they made this movie. But yet, I think because they did the 
oh, well, it's Disney sort of thing, just went off and made their Disney movie, it just felt like a lot of the movie, they were going through the motions. And what I mean is that you have the main character, the hero, who has a problem. You know, there's something going on with them, and we have to address this uh, address this at the beginning of the movie, you know, that he doesn't have a family, and you that is forced down your your throat that he, his his parents are dead. And it get it got to me, really got to me once his brother dies, because it's like they go out of the way or they fit all this all this backstory in where it's just my family died. You know, this died. Now, again, like I said earlier, I didn't care for the movie Up. But what I appreciated about the movie Up is that the first four minutes of the movie shows you the, the entire lifespan of the grumpy old man. You know, why he became grumpy. You know, how he was back then to where you realize he's not a grumpy, angry, mean man. He's just, he's misunderstood. You know, and you see why. Without them, like, shoving that down your throat, you have all this character work, and then the movie goes on, you know? And that's coming from somebody who is not in love with the movie up like a lot of people are. But yet, I, I, I like that. I really, really like that. That is great storytelling. This movie, like I mentioned before, it, it just felt like it was just like, here, you know, this is what's going on. Here, you know, ah, ah, this this death this and so whenever the brother dies now before i go on i have to i will admit that this movie got a lot right where a lot of other disney uh, more recent disney movies have uh that they have not even come close to this and there are a lot of really funny nuances where the funniness comes out over a period of time. Like the whole thing, you see it a little bit in the trailer where Baymax, the big poofy marshmallow man looking guy, uh, has the air. They're in, they're at the police station and the air is coming out of his shoulders. And he, you know, the air is coming out and then he slowly reaches over, grabs the tape, and then he pan up to see, the re to get the reaction shot of the, of the cop. And then he takes the tape and he covers the hole and like then you hear a noise you know it's like you, you playing with the sound effects of the air escaping the the holes and character reactions and it, again it just took its time it was a great setup for a joke that lasted you know a good minute or so however long it lasted and it felt like this movie had a lot of little tiny stuff like that. But the overall story as a whole, the overall characters as a whole, felt like something that we've all seen before. We've all seen The Incredibles, and this movie just kind of felt like a rehash of The Incredibles. But I absolutely love and adore The Incredibles. I mean, some of the characters, like the girl who has, Matt mentioned the girl that can... A skate on the she has the wheels on her that she can move around well a lot of moments and shots from her doing her thing on those skates come straight out of the incredibles quite a bit you know it's kind of it was kind of weird especially both of these movies are disney movies though incredibles i think it's a pixar movie disney pixar movie but uh 
Yeah, I mean, I know I'm probably beating a dead horse right now. It's just this movie just felt like it was running, going through the motions. So uh, I give this one, Big Hero 6, 2.75 out of 5. Uh, I, you know, they're two extra, you know, the 2.75 is for, you know, some of the outstanding effects. But then, like, the little moments that I missed from Disney they had in this movie. So... 2.75. All right. Well, then that's going to bring us to Interstellar. 2014 epic science fiction films directed by Christopher Nolan, stars Matthew McConaughey, and Hathaway, Jessica Chastain, Michael Caine. Basically, humanity is on its last leg, and this is a movie about whether or not um, some people who decide to go on a mission can actually save humanity or not. If you don't want any spoilers for this movie from my portion of this review, then you're going to need to stop here, go see the movie, and come back. Or you can skip ahead until you start hearing Tim talk, and you can go from there. From here on out, spoilers abound. Um, Alright. This is... This is a movie that I thought was going to be amazing. And I I get that Christopher Nolan likes to be thought-provoking and likes to be complex with his ideas and wants you to really think with his movies. I mean, if you take Memento, you have to think. If you take Inception, you have to think. Um, You know, a lot of his movies are about deeper ideas and really trying to twist things around. The problem here is, is that regardless of how... This is, according to Neil uh, deGrasse Tyson, this is literally like the most scientifically accurate space film he's ever seen. So they get a lot of science right. The problem is, is at the end of the day, even with as much science as they got right, they still fell into the Terminator trap. Which is, this movie cannot happen. I don't care what anybody says about trying to create temporal loops and stable and whether or not they're stable. And uh, they, they do not allow for, they do not give themselves a way out because they don't admit to essentially needing to be able to create a, an, an alternate reality for this to have happened. Matthew McConaughey goes forward in time and enters into a ultimately enters into a a tesseract essentially that allows him to communicate with both himself and his daughter in the past to save the future this is of course after getting into one of the stupidest fist fights i've ever seen with matt damon again sorry spoilers spoilers you're not supposed to be listening to this at this point um in one of the most predictable things I've ever seen in a Christopher Nolan movie. I was, like, completely disappointed with that. Um, the thing is, is that I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a for instance, and if, and if you would like to, you know, go back and watch The Terminator, or if you would like something a little bit more current, go do Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. You get to see that, because in Terminator, <clears throat> Dude sends his, dude sends a guy back in time to protect his mom uh, because his mom is going to give birth to you know I'm going to you know is going to give birth to is going to give birth to the savior right See the problem is is that the dude he sends back is his dad 
well, if he doesn't send his dad back in time, he never gets born. So how does he send his own dad back? He can't do that. So then let's take a look at Prisoner of Azkaban. Harry Potter and Hermione are about to die from the soul-sucking motherfuckers. When Harry, just as he's about to receive the kiss from the Dementor, sees a, a stag come out from the corner, and the stag chases off the Dementors, and that's how he lives. And then, of course, throughout the course of the book, you realize Harry Potter saves himself. See, Harry should not have lived to save himself. Do you see where I'm going with this? <clears throat> Matthew McConaughey could not have survived in order to send the message back to save himself because they were all already dead. Humanity would have had to have died. They would have had to have had an alternate way to survive so that the beings can figure out a way to create the Tesseract, which goes around time and space, to create a stable temporal loop that you can enter via a black hole and send messages back to yourself. Somebody else had to survive. The thing is, is that they set it up so that Matthew McConaughey is the one who's actually sending the messages and is the one who's actually reaching out and touching people and stuff. It can't be that way because they'd already be dead. All of the other time stuff is makes sense. You don't need a calculator. You don't. They they give you plenty of exposition to explain how black holes work, how proximity works, how the space time is going to be affected when you do these kinds of things, and the actual adverse effects. They do a great job of explaining all that. The problem is that none of it should have fucking happened because they'd all be already dead. Next, we get to actual just complete utter nonsense. Michael Caine is a scientist who is basically uh, the, his, his basically presenting to the world, uh, or at least the world is, they know it in their narrow view, because NASA is not a big thing at this time in this, in this particular world uh, future that we have. <clears throat> plan A, where we're trying to save the population of the Earth, or a plan B, where, you know what, population's fucked, but we can set up incubators and, you know... And, and makeshift placentas and, and pretend uteruses and grow us some humans and at least the human species will survive even if Earth in and of itself does not and the humans on Earth do not. So he's pretending to solve this equation to figure out the gravity and everything uh, that's needed to make plan A work. But it's, it's a fake. It's a red herring. They're really trying to make plan B work the whole time. Now... You can already see this setup coming from about a mile away, and about ten minutes before it actually happens, you're already, like, if you haven't figured it out, then you're either allowing the movie to happen to you, and that's cool, or you just don't know what the hell's going on, which is kind of sad. Which then leads up to Matt Damon being there. Now, Matt Damon... Uh, it plays a guy who is also in league with Michael Caine's character as a scientist who is really just like, come on, we know that this is plan B and this is plan B is what's really going to happen. Except, he's a coward. And it's completely predictable what's about to happen. That he is a coward, he's lied, and he's going to set this whole thing up. And then, of course, it's exactly what happens. And even Neil deGrasse Tyson tweeted about it. It's like, seriously? A fist fight on a planet this far away? This, I mean, it's dumb. It's a complete contrivance, and I'm disappointed that Christopher Nolan actually went this far. 
So you've got issues like that that are coming up. Plus, you've got this makeshift, you know, oh, it's all about love. And love fucks up half the movie, but then love saves the other half of the movie. So I don't even understand what the hell's going on with that and how you're trying to reconcile that. that that's, you're, you're contradicting yourself and making the entire movie about this contradiction. That shouldn't have happened in the first place because you're not even supposed to survive. Finally... We then we can come to the music, and I understand that this is epic, and I understand that there's there, and there's actually lots of good music, but oh my god, I wanted to shoot the person who was playing the pipe organ. I, seriously, you need to stop. Like, I get it. I understand what you're trying to do. I get that you're underscoring things, and I get that you're bringing, that you're showing power and uh, and change and thing and crescendo. I understand. But you need to stop. It's like a two-year-old sitting there and spamming the noise button on whatever fucking noisemaker they have. Do we have anything else to do right now? No. Hit the pipe organ button. Fuck you and stop! That being said, brilliantly acted. Technically brilliant. Technically, I mean, unparalleled in its technical brilliance in terms of movie making uh, and, and filmmaking overall. Christopher Nolan mind, Christopher Nolan's mind, it like needs to be protected at all costs. Like, if there ever is a real Plan A, Plan B situation, I don't care which plan you go with, you just put him on the plane, okay, or, or the spaceship. But he did not make a five-star movie. He did not make a four-star movie. He barely made a three-star movie. But Bam. three stars nonetheless. Bam. Interstellar that shit. There you go. Wow. Yeah, uh, I agree for the most part. I This is a three-star movie for me as well. Um, I, This, to me, goes to prove that when... All of the ducks, all when all of Christopher Nolan's ducks don't line up in a row, you finally realize how annoyingly pretentious this man can be. Um, I Memento, great movie, love it. Batman Begins, didn't care for it. Batman, uh, uh, The Dark Knight, fantastic movie. For some reason all of his ducks lined up in the row for that movie. And it worked great. I think it was the char- the, the the acting, Aaron Eckhart plus uh, Heath Ledger as the Joker. That all worked wonderful. Uh, that's That might have been what made the movie. I don't know. It just gave it such a great flow. Dark Knight Rises. That's when I really started knowing kind of their pretentiousness. Uh, definitely. I mean, it's a good movie, but you can tell that he was trying really hard to make a great movie, yet it wasn't coming out organically. Uh, but actually, before Dark Knight uh, Rises, you have Inception, which to me, after seeing the Dark Knight and then seeing Inception, it's like, holy shit, man, this guy knows how to make a great two-and-a-half-hour-long movie. He knows how to make a, a really good thriller, an intense thriller, a good mystery, a good sci-fi. Man, I really wish he will do a space adventure movie. And he did. And that movie is entitled... Interstellar, or Interstellar in 35mm, because I gotta say, when I went to see Interstellar three days before it was initially supposed to come out in 35mm, 
it didn't look as glorious as what uh, you would expect because when you show a 35mm movie onto a screen, on, on the particular screen that this theater purchased and set up to, to show digital cinema, high definition 4K digital cinema, you begin to quickly realize that uh, the two, film and the, uh, the digital you know, cinema uh, screens, don't suit one another. So the movie I got wasn't colorful. It, I mean, it, there was, again, I mean, you did see a lot of brilliantness, great color, but the colors didn't pop. The movie wasn't vivid. So the whole 35 millimeter thing, unless you are in the, a perfect theater where they have a good screen made for that 35 millimeter projector to project this movie onto it, then that's good. But if you're not, uh, yeah, it's I don't know if it's worth it or not. But anyways, about the movie. So yeah, I, I think I really got a, a big fist in the face of pretentiousness in this movie. He uh, he's a, he's a scientific guy. He wants to be a scientific filmmaker, and that's great, you know. Uh, but I think what would be even better is that if you made a scientific movie. And made it a really bitchin' good movie. Especially when you have The Dark Knight in Inception that you are following up. Or The Dark Knight Trilogy, for that matter. Because everybody, I mean, uh, other than me, I mean, uh, so many people love the Dark Christopher Nolan's Batman Trilogy. Uh, period. Uh, you know, so much. So he had to follow up that much. And yet, with all the criticism that people have, his response is... Oh, you're not understanding. You got to watch it a second time, and then you will understand. Matt, if you were there, if you were listening, how many times did you have to watch Inception to understand what Inception, what was going on? Because it only took me once. I mean, I, after watching it a second time, I picked up on a couple things, like a really good strategically made movie you pick up on on additional things during multiple viewings but you shouldn't have to go back and rewatch a movie because you missed the entire plot so matt how many times did you have to watch inception to to get a to have a you know a, to get a grasp on the movie one one there you go the movie, I mean, the good thing about Inception is that, again, you have a great cast, you had a really strong script, uh, the the music, the big, gaudy, body, whatever, duh, music at that time, the that music was not overused because that movie made that music. You had really good visuals, really good special effects, and to me, Ducks lined up perfectly, and that is a wonderful, wonderful film. That shouldn't be his excuse with this movie. You have to go back and watch it a second time because you don't understand. That shouldn't be the case. I mean, people are making or have 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 pretty decent uh, criticisms about Interstellar, and a lot of it makes sense. I mean, even Neil deGrasse Tyson, he even rips apart. He tweeted a few other uh, comments about uh, the fight scene. Uh, just some various other story and character elements that are kind of like, well, duh. You know, it's like why, like what Matt mentioned, why have that fight scene? You know, if somebody is repeatedly punching your face mask to where there are cracks in that for atmosphere to get in through that mask, 
what Neil deGrasse Tyson mentioned, well, I uh, that atmosphere should be okay. I mean, if it's able to get in, you know it's not going to kill you. So, I mean, you know, give it a shot. Why not? Um, but another thing that really got me about this movie is that so many people hated on Danny Boyle's Sunshine, which to me, there hasn't been a better sci-fi movie since Danny Boyle's Sunshine from, I think, 2005. However, a lot of people hate on that movie because of the film's final act, where uh, there turns out to be a villain, bad guy, and a lot of people just didn't like it. They felt like it was a cop-out. They cheated a real storyline, I guess. But with Interstellar, a couple, not, I mean, I don't want to say those same exact people, because I don't know if they all feel this way or not, but I went back and reread some, you know, choice people's reviews, and the people that hated on Sunshine absolutely loved Interstellar. And the same concept kind of happens, as what Matt mentioned a little while ago, the fight between Dr. Mann and Matthew McConaughey punching each other on the ice planet. <sighs> it A complete and total cop-out. 2001 A Space Odyssey. There's no cop-outs there. Hal the computer? I wouldn't necessarily call him a villain. I mean, he does make an excellent villain, but he's not a villain. He is a computer. And... That, you know, it's just how that how that all set up to where Hal could be perceived as the villain, just means it was really really good filmmaking, and so much in this movie is again there in front of you, given to you, and the really the last thing you need after watching this movie is to say, <laughs> what what was that ending? What was it? Because that ending, I I guessed. I The person who I went to see this movie with, I leaned over and told her what I thought the ending was going to be. What I thought was going to happen. Who was on the opposite end of the bookshelf? What was going on with the bookshelf, I should say? I guessed it, and I was right, and I thought, while I was guessing, you know, this is going to be the stupidest thing. Nah, he's not going to go down the M. Night Shyamalan path. And he did, and it is just disappointing. That is that is that I think to me more so than the fight that Matt mentioned. The ending of this movie is the most disappointing aspect. Um, one more thing to mention: everything on that happens on Earth in this movie is bad. Everything that happens in space is exciting. It's interesting, very highly intriguing. But then it cuts down to Earth. You're supposed to care about these people that you really don't know much about. All of a sudden, Topher Grace is in the movie. Uh, you know, it's just... Uh, you just don't understand enough to fully align with what is all going on with this movie. And it, it, it's it's a shame. It's a shame. I mean, I will watch this movie again. Um, and again, the theater that I saw it in didn't take away from my experience. From the movie itself. Not at all. But... Yeah, it's just, it's yeah, three stars. Uh, there's not much I can really add to that. Space stuff exciting. Earth stuff incoherent. Interstellar. Oh, yeah, and then one final note. 
I like how if you've been separated from your daughter for theoretically 90 years, you should just, you know, meet up with her for a minute and a half and then never see her again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So next week's <laughs> movies are going to be Birdman, Dumb and Dumber 2, and Stretch. All right, folks. I believe that brings us to the end of yet another episode of the SLS cast. So, I think we're down to the spiel, are we not, sir? Spiel on. All right, well, um, the music that we didn't terribly, terribly butcher that you'd be listening to in the background, as always, is brought to you by uh, our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and facebook.com both slash cries of solace we of course are still the sls cast and you can find us at slscast.com you can send us an email to the show at slscast.com you can follow us on twitter at the sls cast you can follow me matt on twitter at nitwit12345 you can climb aboard the information superhighway and see what you can do about finding tim on twitter and of course you can always subscribe to us on itunes you can favorite us on stitcher radio you can even go to facebook and like us there as well but until next week this is matt saying that thanks to anthony michael hall i get to say this you want to do work that is remembered you want to be a part of something that's remembered. Talk to you guys next week. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.